0: infectious like a dog Welcome to the Box Tunnel Survivors Group, a place for those affected by the issues raised in the TV show Being Human. <laughs> Happy Pink Moon, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. And I'm so glad that you could stop watching Tracy Beaker just for an hour of your life. Congratulations. Put those tissues away as we study the episode The Looking Glass. But before we get into that, I'll just do a bit of cast watch. Uh, Aidan Turner, who's been very busy in his play, has now been cast in a Disney Plus series called Rivals. It's a Jilly Cooper book. So I assume it's going to have lots of, I was about to say, naked humans and naked horses. But but by nature, the horses will be naked anyway. Or perhaps they'll be clothed and the humans will be naked. I've gone on a tangent. He's been cast along with a whole load of other people. David Tennant, Claire Rushbrook, Catherine Parkinson, Emily Atak, Danny Dyer, and quite a few more. Um, I think it's only been just been cast now or just been announced now. So it's probably a year or so away. Maybe you'll get to see Aidan topless riding a horse, a naked horse. So look out for that. And Russell Tovey is in a new film that has just been released called Alleluia. Again, another impressive cast list. It's got Judy Dench, David Bradley about a geriatric ward in Yorkshire that is faced with closure. And the local community decide to galvanise and try to save it. I assume people will be fully clothed in it. That's enough Cast Watch for now because we need to get to the important stuff. About two weeks ago, the Series 4 and Series 5 soundtracks were finally released. These have been, what, 10 and 11 years in the making. Uh, Richard Wells, the composer, has released them on streaming sites such as... Spotify, Amazon and Apple Music. I will put a link to the Spotify albums in the show notes. Well, we never thought it would happen. If it did, at the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, they're going to lump series four and series five together in one album. But this is a whole 40 plus new songs spread over two albums. And it's just amazing to finally hear these beautiful pieces of music uninterrupted. Richard Wells. His music has been a constant character itself throughout the whole run of Being Human, so it's just lovely to have them out there in the open, and we can, so we get to know what certain pieces of music are called. And yes, on top of that, there's also four bonus tracks on the series one soundtrack. So he's just treating us to even more new stuff. Well, new old stuff. The plan is to interview Richard Wells on the podcast. It's just a case of getting our calendars to align, but. Like I say, his music is such an integral part, an important part of the show. And yeah, it's finally out there. Listen to the links and just immerse yourself in it. And now time for Being Human Series 2, Episode 5. Written by Toby Whithouse, Anthony Bascallop and directed by Kevin Glennon, as well as the main cast of Series 2. We are introduced to Molly Jones, who plays Molly. Charlie McKenna, who plays, we're going to say Scylla, you'll find out why, and Sarah Pascoe, who plays Dead Baby Mum. But more important than that, the return of Jason Watkins as Herrick. It aired on BBC Three on February the seventh, two thousand and ten. It's now time to go through the Looking Glass, Ooh. and it's a welcome back to the show to Francis. Hello. Hello, good to have you back yeah, again. Yeah, um, <laughs> and yeah, I think you are looking forward to doing this episode as well, weren't totally. you? Totally. Yeah. A question I didn't ask you before, and I think the listeners need to know, is if you died today and you were left in limbo on Earth, what do you think your unfinished would be?
1: Yeah, I really thought about this one for a bit because I didn't quite know which direction to think in. You know. But I think it would be that I never really properly learned how to do parkour. <laughs> it's, it's very <laughs> random, I know. <laughs> I, I did take a parkour class last year, and it was really fun. It's like the first and only sport I ever enjoyed. But i um, really not a sporty person, so I don't have any muscle to build on. And you really kind of need that. Okay. And that's what I got hung up on. But I should try to get back into it now that the weather is finally getting a bit better.
0: Yeah. So parkour is essentially... You see, kind of see those videos on like TikTok and YouTube and things yes. of people jumping around and get, doing crazy leaps and things like that. And climbing. Exactly, it's that. It's, wow. it's really
1: cool. It's, the point is basically to get from A to B in the fastest, most efficient way possible. Yeah. Um, it's really cool. It's really creative in a way. Um, you really get to know your own body a bit more. It's mental, too. uh, Well, mental. (laughs) It's a psychic thing, I mean, too, because you have to get up very high, so you have to work with your mind a bit. Um, It's very nice.
0: If you did learn to do it, you could bounce around from wall to wall, do great leaps, and your final move can be jumping dramatically into your open door.
1: Yes, right through the door. Yeah. through
0: the glowing door.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm planning on.
0: <laughs> All right, uh let's get on with The Looking Glass which is series 2 episode 5. On this rewatch is it as good as you remember or does it does it hold up to you because this is I think this is an episode that a lot of being human fans hold in in high praise, I think.
1: Well, it's quite fun because it's doing something different. We've never really seen Mitchell's past, yeah, um like that, so it's really a necessary component I think we needed to get for him at some point, yeah, and we finally got it, um which is very fun. um, did it hold up? I think it did, yeah, it's always a bit different, watching something while taking notes and thinking about it, um. But yes, I really enjoyed it. I really found some parallels I didn't expect to the last episode I was on your podcast on, which was mm. the one with Bernie in the first season. Um there were some parallels in the, like thematically, I thought that I hadn't expected. Um I think so, yeah.
0: what, I think what's great about a lot of Toby's writing and what they do a lot in being human is there are so many par- parallels to other storylines or other things that happen but especially in this episode there are a lot of parallels especially because of the two two time zones that that match up really well and relate to each other
1: yes definitely
0: all right so we start in london 1969 and settle in ladies the first shot is a half-naked mitchell lying around on the floor covered in blood god those 60s pants (laughs) oh my
1: god (laughs)
0: tighty-whities. He stands up to reveal a fellow blood-soaked person, a woman who is dead. He surveys the scene, and there's another body in the corridor. And soon enough, a very smart Herrick appears, not back from the dead, obviously, because it's the past. Uh, He appears from the bathroom, I think it is, and says, morning, soldier. (laughs) I I love
1: how clean Herrick is in this, and how absolutely filthy Mitchell. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's literally getting Mitchell to do his dirty work, isn't yes, it? Yes, literally. I think, whether it's deliberate or not, the use of flashbacks in series two must have opened up this opportunity to bring... Firstly, bring Herrick back because he's such a strong character. Yeah. And they felt, obviously, they're missing out on a trick. They can go, they can go back to his past. But also, the fact that this... At first watch, you would just think this is just what they've been doing in the series. A flashback for the cold open, and they wouldn't go back to it. But as it's a, a a flashback that essentially runs through the whole episode, it's like you just said, it's something new for being human. Yeah. Okay, so Mitchell learns from Herrick where, that they are in London, and he insists that he has to tidy up, because there's no one else to do it. Mitchell asks, what, there's no vampires Lond- in London? And Herrick replies, yeah, but the head guy and I, we don't... Um, I sort of killed his mum.
1: <laughs> As it happens, occasionally.
0: <laughs> and Herrick goes on a quest to find the car, and Mitchell's left to clear up the human remains. Yeah. And I love the, this little montage, the fact that he drags the bodies together in the corridor and hoovers around them.
1: Yeah, I, I love it. It's this dark being human humour they've got. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, Mitchell makes his leave and heads down the communal stairs only to spy a police officer. And as he walks back up the stairs, he spies a woman opening a door and barges in rather rudely by pushing her and covering her mouth. Uh, there's a knock on the door and Mitchell becomes more agitated. Are you going to hurt me, the woman says. And Mitchell responds, right now, I'd say it's about
1: 50-50. Yeah.
0: Yes. So she answers the door and Mitchell looks through the spy hole. Very 60s. All coppers sound like this in the 60s due to, in TV terms. They've got this kind of like colloquial London accent. It's a murder hunt, madam. I suggest you stay inside if I were you. And he closes the door. She takes her necklace off. What happens now? And Mitchell says, we wait. Now, I wonder, like, obviously, the Being Human, the first two series were titled later. But I know Herrick says the looking glass is a thing later. But there's a couple of moments where Mitchell is spying through glass onto things as well so perhaps it it just made sense for it to be called that
1: oh you're right i hadn't noticed that but yeah
0: yes so and then we are back in the modern day and mitchell is led down again but with more clothes on this time and there's a load of bashing at the front door and half asleep george opens it for the police officer to charge past, and they go straight up the stairs and straight into his bedroom i don't know how they didn't like scan the house they just knew where his bedroom was
1: yeah apparently
0: it's a library books, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, because that's the, <laughs> the most obvious thing
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. they drag him into the from his bed and into the police car, and Annie calls for them to call his solicitor, as if Mitch was going to have a solicitor.
1: Yeah, yeah, although, no he doesn't. maybe although... maybe the vampires have got like a, a solicitor for everybody, like everybody that was under Herrick, in a way, maybe they've got one solicitor among them.
0: Yeah, and I suppose Hal kind of did have a solicitor in Cutler.
1: Yeah, like Cutler.
0: Yeah. And then she says, what's he done? And a sighing, George goes, how far back do you want to go?
1: Yeah. Which kind of implies in the very beginning that it's about the 60s thing, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, that's it. I mean, looking back at it, like you say, when you're... I've never made that connection before, but when you're like writing notes and taking it in, I think the intention was for you to think that He's finally being caught up for his actions in 1969. Yeah. The reveal on that isn't too far away. He's taken, in the next scene, Mitchell is taken to the police station and Officer Wilson is there. Wilson announces, Douglas Drakefield arrested in 2005 for flashing. Kiddie porn on the hard drive, April 2006. Again, no conviction. November 2006, assault on a minor. He gets two years, serves 18 months, and, they, and then this afternoon we find him parkside of primary school with a length of rope in his car. Um, so, so yeah, again, Mitchell looks through the spy hole to see the person in the cell. And this concerns me how? A quizzical Mitchell asks, I want this animal sent kicking and screaming to hell and you're the man to do it. So get in there, vamp up, vamp out, whatever it is you do and rip this rug of to shreds. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's just so cool. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I can never get over it. I always watch this episode and I... Kind of shriek back at how how awful he is,
0: he's so fun to watch though he
1: is, yes, <laughs> but he's a bit fun to watch like Herrick's fun to watch, he's also awful,
0: <laughs> yeah, I just I think Wilson has a very muddled view of morality, doesn't he, because yeah. he's happy to condone murders when it's of use to him, but he arrests certain other people for murdering. He wants to crack down on the bad stuff that he disapproves of, but he's shot through with corruption,
1: yeah, but I think for me, it's just the fact that he's trying to. Use Mitchell like that. That's yeah. I don't know.
0: Yeah, and no, I, I think don't there's like pa- that. there's parallels here between the interactions between Wilson and Mitchell in the modern day and Wilson, uh, sorry, Herrick and Mitchell in 1969. There's a good yeah. lot of parallels going on. Oh
1: yeah. This is also the first time I thought uh, it was like a callback to the Bernie episode because again, it's about pedophiles <laughs>
0: Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, why well, is, yeah, Mitchell kind of can't escape it, can he? <laughs> yeah. Mitchell explains that he is going clean, but you're a vampire. Is that even possible? They chose a 2 fucker like you for their leader. Well, isn't that politics all over?
1: Uh, I hate him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, back at the pink house, George is seeking Annie's advice on the best literature for a child. Mitchell pops down, not keen on talking about the Midnight Stormtroopers, and there follows a cold exchange where Mitchell is a bit gripey about George and Sam. Uh, George flaunts out of the house, and Annie serves a disapproving look. I think that this kind of thing, and also, some things don't need to be explained, because he only met Sam the last episode. Yeah. But to us, Mitchell and Annie don't know about her. And there's a moment later where George references a love interest from 40 years ago, but, but obviously he met the older Josie. Yeah. But you can then you can then go, well, obviously they would have had a conversation about that off screen.
1: Probably. For
0: for George to understand who she is. So.
1: Yeah, I always I assumed like the, that, I think.
0: Yeah, I like the fact that they're not, not just labouring the point and going, oh, you know, that, have a pointless conversation where george has to say oh i've met someone called sam and all that yeah. kind of stuff because it wouldn't serve the purpose would it
1: no like i, I always assume that kind of just happens between the episodes
0: yeah um uh, Mitchell stats what he's obviously still in love with nina this whole sam thing is textbook rebound he pops a letter for annie on the table and leans in and saying it's junk mail i might be dead but i'm still on the database <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's probably how it would go for about a year or two after someone died, I think. Uh, I love how Mitchell doesn't tell anybody about why he went to the police. No, He just comes home like he just went to the shop. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he's just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And they don't really question him on it, do they?
1: No, but he's been doing this all season. I think they've just given up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I suppose, they, because they are becoming more distant. They're, yeah. they're, they are they're feel like they're losing the battle with Mitchell, maybe. Yeah, I think so. Uh, George turns up at Sam's house to be greeted by her child Molly. His choice of magazines is ridiculed. Ponies, <laughs> I'm seven, not three. And the second choice of makeup, why not put me on the game and be done with it? And George's face is a complete picture on that one.
1: Yeah, he's really great with kids again
0: this reminds me again we're talking about parallels whether this is intentional of the Hetty scene in series 5 where she wants some crayons to draw some ponies and oh, shit oh yeah you're right <laughs> yeah turns out they live with Sam's uh, Sam's mum and George is ever not helping with the situation three generations of women living under the same damp patch uh, George goes to take a seat but Molly interjects my dad used to sit there then he goes to eat on the kitchen side. That's where the cat sits. You could sit on the pin if you like.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really, uh, it kind of shows in in like a very literal way how there's not really space for him in this life. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's a good point, actually. I, I I always find that line quite funny. Yeah. In the next scene, again we have someone else spying through the other side, but it's not glass this time. It's a woman hollering at Annie to let her in. Yeah, you big hair, Bambi eyes. And this causes Annie to come out with a catchphrase. You can see me. <laughs> uh, Annie opens the door and it's only bloody Sarah Pascoe. It's off of stand-up and TV presenting and off of books. I don't think this character, I didn't look at the credits actually, I don't think this character has a name.
1: I don't know. No, you're no. right. I can't dead, remember a name.
0: Dead child's dead mum.
1: Yeah, Probably.
0: Uh, she's standing there with a baby, and invites herself in, and turns out it was Sykes who told her about Annie. So a nice little link to the previous episode.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so Sarah Pascoe, that's what I'm going to call the character. Okay. Wants wants Annie to do a st- st- a stint of dead babysitting as she has a date with a dead fireman. I hope she's still able to slide down his pole. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, let's let's cross our fingers for her.
0: <laughs> I'm not even sorry for that. Uh, so annie is literally left holding the baby and at the funeral parlor campbell is back again and he tells mitchell that he's been dreaming about his ex mitchell assures him that it's all part of the process so it's happened to you he says in glorious detail and then we are flashed back to 1969 again mitchell is banging on the door of the bathroom but he sees she's written a message on the window and ties her up she asks a long stream of questions that are really getting on Mitchell's tits. And she asks, How many people have you killed? He says, This is quite eye opening, this one. He says, More than a hundred, less than a thousand.
1: Yeah, you see, I, that's like, I, I always thought this number, it sounds really like a whole lot. But I tried to do the maths, and it actually <laughs> it comes down to killing about one person a month for him. Like, maybe, kind of, in, in like the, the 50 years he's been a vampire since. And that's yeah. not so much, if you're considering how they live.
0: <laughs> I suppose so. Uh, yeah. Maybe he was know. just being conservative in his guess.
1: Maybe. I always thought that that number sounded a bit strange. Like, a lot when you hear it, but strange when you do the math.
0: I, I mean, he's being dismissive that, but I think he knows for so well because he's... He said on more than one occasion, he remembers them all. He remembers, he, he does it in this episode, he yeah. remembers what they're wearing, all that kind of stuff. So I, he knows. He's, Maybe, he's, pro- well, he's probably got a body count.
1: I suppose he does remember everybody individually, but doesn't that doesn't mean he's ever done the maths, really, and knows how much they add up
0: to. Yeah, true. Back in the present day, Mitchell bumps into his latest love interest, Lucy, outside the hospital, and Lucy confirms their date for tomorrow, and she's downloaded some Nigella for the occasion. In the distance, we see Kemp shiftily appear in the background. As she strolls down to him, an interesting mating ritual as uh, seen throughout the animal kingdom. The male flaps and fusses, seeking attention. The female refuses until eventually the male flaps hard enough. The female <laughs> succumbs. <laughs> He's such a fun sponge, isn't he?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Lucy insists that this doesn't end, have to end up in mating. I think you might misunderstand the allure of the devil. It kind that. of
1: implies uh, for her it's a real date, doesn't it? I mean, we always kind of don't know with Lucy whether she's playing him or not. And it doesn't seem that she's playing him at this point in time, I think.
0: No, I think in this episode, this is the, the most clear-cut we've seen Lucy throughout the episode, I yes. think. Yeah. And and she's she's also, like, straying away because we've seen what she's, like... The brief time we saw in the facility, we she's straying away from... Kemp's hardline approach to things. She yeah. she she doesn't like that. Yeah. Lucy wants more time as Mitchell is clean, but Kemp is uh, ploughing on with his anti-vampire philosophy. And back in 1969, the woman who, for now, mm, hasn't been named. So what's what's a good 60s name for a woman? A British oh, woman.
1: God. I've got no idea what British women are called in the 60s.
0: Scylla. <laughs> Okay. We call her Scylla.
1: Scylla, yeah.
0: So so Scylla asks if Mitchell has any remorse. Mitchell sighs, why couldn't I have taken a mute hostage? Uh, She offers to tell her name. It's Scylla. Okay. Uh, But Mitchell shouts her down, I still don't understand why you'd do it. And he goes, it's complicated. Take your time, I'm tied to a bookshelf. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mitchell snaps, I have to kill them. I don't have a choice. And it's fair to say that Scylla kind of has him sussed quite early on.
1: Yeah, I love how she breaks him down, kind of. She doesn't take any of his crap. He's trying to sell her, and he's always selling everybody else and himself. Um, She doesn't accept it. And I think think that's... Isn't that, like, a common threat in the women he eventually falls for?
0: Yeah, that's true, actually, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, stronger and... You know that that'll give him a challenge, I suppose.
1: Yes, they all question him. I think Richard probably doesn't really know what to do with a woman that just um takes him as he is, because he—I think to me this scene implies a lot of self-hatred in a way. Yeah. That—that's like in him, and if a woman doesn't challenge him or question, make him question himself, then there's probably not much in it for him.
0: True. Yeah, and that's probably yeah. He, uh, she's picked up on that he's he's going through inner turmoil and he's panicking. Yeah, and he doesn't he doesn't know quite what to do, and that's yeah. she's she's taking advantage of that, I think. Yes. Um, yeah. Then uh, he
1: gags her because he doesn't want to hear any more truths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> he's not good with truth. No. So George is with Sam, ha- having just dropped Molly off at school, and Sam reveals that it's her mum's house and she's skint and the charmer what a charmer george is no matter how bad a prospect you think you may be i am far crapper <laughs> this is the opposite of the mating ritual that kent was just describing it's yeah. just like we're both bit shit aren't we do you want to shag
1: <laughs> kind of yeah <laughs> although i don't think um george and and uh, sam's um, points in life and problems are really comparable no
0: no uh, George returns to the pink house only to be confronted by a crying baby and an overwhelmed Annie. What is that? A baby, she replies. It's one of mine. How long have I been gone?
1: Yeah, that's a fantastic quote.
0: <laughs> George actually settles Mr Potato Face down by holding him. And he asks what his name is. Well, what are babies usually called? Brian? <laughs> Brian, not
1: choice ask... for like... Uh... A typical baby name. I I, I don't think I'd ever come up with Brian.
0: Brian, no. No. (laughs) Annie, I'm going to ask you a very serious question. I would like a very serious answer. Did you steal this baby out of a supermarket trolley?
1: (laughs) Well, where else would she have got it? I I mean, (laughs) I understand his reasoning.
0: George gets a bit sentimental. He says, this was my old to-do list. A house, a wife and a house full of children. I mean, that sounds like absolute fucking hell, if you ask me. A bit, but yeah. But it's their own. He says, other people get to do that. We're not other people anymore.
1: Yeah. What I find it very interesting about this is that in this scene, he recognises that this isn't, well, this isn't really the life he gets anymore. But at the same time, he's trying to build it with Sam and Molly. Like this exact thing that it's... he doesn't think he can have, he's yeah. trying to build
0: that is true, yeah. That is he's he's at complete odds with his own brain, isn't he? Yeah. And like when Mitchell's snapping at George in this episode saying, "Absolutely fucking not! You're off your rocker." <laughs> he's he's right, but George George wants it all. He wants he, he at one stage goes, "I'm a monster. I can't have that. I need to hide myself away." And and in the, the next moment he's going, "I'm going to move in with Sam, yeah, and and her child, yeah." Uh, it's just all over the place and it'll never work out.
1: Totally. And I wouldn't say it doesn't work out because George can't have that anymore, um, but because he's just so at odds with himself.
0: Nigella, sorry, Lucy, is in the kitchen prepping for her date, but Kemp is watching on. And one of the few things I like about you is you don't call supper tea. There are many things I hate in this modern world. Secularism, showbiz news, but Tay is barbaric. (laughs) Tay yeah <laughs> and this is probably one of the only times i agree with kemp showbiz news and calling dinner tea oh,
1: i don't think barbaric. i have a strong opinion on the tea thing
0: all right okay so what do you call your free meals in the day
1: uh, morning in, meal in, in in german
0: yeah <laughs> no no like <laughs> well um god on, gone on, in german then
1: okay um Frühstück, Mittagessen und Abendbrot that's Breakfast? Um, well, a kind of lunch? I don't know, but yeah. like a bigger lunch Like, my 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 lunch is the biggest meal of the day And... Okay. Well, dinner... I suppose that's very American, isn't it? To call it breakfast, that's, lunch and dinner
0: That's... I I, I agree, you are correct
1: I don't know where I picked up which pieces of my English, so... Um.
0: Three, three out of three yeah. Well done. You've you've passed the test. <laughs> Some people call dinner tea. Okay. And I I just don't understand that tea is a thing you drink.
1: Yeah, with tea I think that's something you eat at a drink eat at like um four in the afternoon, like with a piece of cake and have a tea. That's, that's what I associate sp- with hearing is, having tea.
0: That is very specific.
1: Yeah. <laughs> But well, we do have a meal that we can, like in German, we can slot in at this time of day. It's called Vesper. Okay. And it's like an optional fourth meal of the day.
0: So it's like a, a little bonus treat. Kind
1: of, yeah. It might be a very East German thing. I'm not sure. Well, there you go. Yeah.
0: We've learned something today, kids. <laughs> okay. So he snaps out of this brief moment of lightheartedness and whips out a big old steak with a concerned looking face. Please be careful, there's an attraction there. It could make him volatile, unpredictable. I mean, yeah, it's clearly you that's got an attraction, mate. Yeah. Uh, Lucy insists that this is what makes him vulnerable. It's quite a strange move for her to invite him round to her house.
1: Yeah, but in this episode, she's starting to trust him.
0: Hmm, I suppose. It just seems much more dangerous than in the public space, but then I suppose you've got to try and catch him off guard and...
1: Yeah, but I don't think it's... Uh, she's trying to catch him off guard, actually. I think she's actually having a date for them. Mm. It's not about uh, what they're doing with Kemp at the moment, I think. Because she doesn't really want Kemp to interfere in her plans or anything. She just kind of just wants him out of the house. So she can prepare for her date. <laughs> I,
0: I mean, I can't blame her.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> neither can I. But I think it's really a social call.
0: Yeah, I suppose. I mean, Kemp, I, he understands that lucy fancies him but that uh, lucy fan yeah but he's he's still plowing on as i said with the plan yeah to o- overall kill mitchell whereas she's like i say s- stepping away from that she doesn't want anything to do with that yeah okay so back in the summer of 69 i got my first real six string Bought it at the five and dime come on
1: Sorry, I was reading my notes
0: right now. <laughs> Played it until my fingers bled. It was the summer of 69.
1: Ah, okay. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> oh. so it, it's ringing some bell in my mind, but I don't know which one.
0: I'm never I'm never going to apologise for my shit jokes.
1: I, no, 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 don't. But I, I can't place it right now.
0: Brian Adams.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, I'm hearing it. Yeah.
0: Yes, back in 69... Mitchell clearly never went to scouts. She scarpers from his tie.
1: How can that happen after 50 years of being a vampire?
0: And she gets the attention of an approaching police officer. Once inside the flat, we see it's Herrick raiding the dressing up box.
1: Yeah, he's probably just getting an idea for a future job opportunity.
0: I had to get a uniform just to make it through the front door. What do you reckon, her? I could walk into Buckingham Palace like this. I like, like you just say, how they plant this as a... Almost a moment that gives Herrick the inspiration to subvert the system from within and then join the police and do what he does with the police. Yeah. Yeah, Silla tries to do another runner, but Herrick grabs her by the hair and throws her to the floor. Still using your granny knot, Mitchell. How many times have I told you? Use a reef.
1: Yeah, I think that's important information to learn. But I mean, as viewers now know, how to tie up people. It's very (laughs) valuable.
0: I'm not saying anything. (laughs)
1: I mean, like, <laughs> theoretically.
0: Theoretically? Yeah. Okay, theoretically. It's Mitchell's turn to get soppy about the baby. Uh, does it bother you, Annie asks, a very long lifetime without kids? And he goes, does it bother you? And Annie gives a kind of knowing look but changes the subject by doing the world's worst George impression.
1: Yeah, you know, this scene made me really sad, kind of, that Mitchell never got to meet Eve. Because yeah. he'd been awesome with her.
0: Yeah, that's true, actually, yeah. Yeah, I think some of the baby... I mean, again, it's not... When this was being written, they're not planning
1: Yeah, no. what
0: happens in series four, but it it kind of plants the seeds for where Annie's story goes.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. There are real differences in how she acts with the baby now and how she does later with Eve. And I think a lot of how her... um It sets up... How she de- how she um, gets better, in a way, um, over time, and uh, her baby skills improve a lot. And... <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> and then George offers Mitchell to make a night of it with a pizza and the real hustle, but he says he's got a date. George gets a bit tetchy because he's saying, oh, so Sam and I are rushing things. Is that what you were saying? And Mitchell goes, actually, no, I wasn't. But if you want that conversation, then yeah, I think you should slow down. So Lucy gets you, does she? She accepts you for who you are. And he goes, maybe someday I'll tell her the truth. And he goes, then you're an idiot. Relationships are secret. No one can know every square inch of somebody else's soul. It doesn't mean they're doomed to fail. And Mitchell looks hurt by this and says, no, you're wrong. I had someone like that. Someone who knew everything about me. Yes, but that was 40 years ago. Um, so, yeah, it it, go, it goes back to that link of what we were saying. George has obviously found out about his past and this relationship.
1: Yeah, I assume they talked about it after the first season. Uh,
0: so we are back in 1969. And I do like the symmetry at play here. Mitchell and Lucy and Mitchell and Scylla. Yeah. Mitchell is now tying her to the bedpost. So hopefully it is not a granny, not this time. He explained that Herrick is like him, only more so. And she asks Mitchell, can you do me a favour? Can you do it? Kill me. That's how this ends. Can you do it? Not him. She says, I know you're not like him. You want this to end. And there's kind of a desperation in her eyes. But she's also, she's playing him. Because I think she knows she can win.
1: Yeah, but I don't know how much playing really is the right term. I mean... She's basically saying the same same things she's been saying the whole episode to him. She's found yeah. this, maybe, maybe you could call it a, a weak spot in him, but it's also like a point where they can connect in a way.
0: Hmm.
1: And she's just pushing and pushing.
0: He says, you have to feed the monster. You have to feed it or this panic creeps in. But it's not withdrawal, it's terror. You start seeing their faces again. You think you've forgotten them, but they come back. The smell of their hair, the taste of their lips, the last thing they said. The only way to stop it is to kill again. You see, it's not an addiction, it's cowardice. It's not being able to face the alternative.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure I'd call that cowardice. I mean, I get from his point of view, it maybe feels like it.
0: Mm. But
1: as a viewer, I wouldn't call that cowardice, I think. I mean, as, as I understand it, a big part of addiction in general is withdrawing from a reality that's very hard to handle. And that's not cowardice in my eyes.
0: No, and uh, there's a thing about this speech that kind of reminds me of the talk he has with Leah. Yeah. The talks he has with Leah in, in the start of series three, it's that fight that is that desperation in him. Yes. That he can't, he can't stop it, and and to him, it's I suppose to him it's cowardice because he wants to be clean. He doesn't want to be that person, but he keeps falling off the wagon he, he keeps killing yeah. and to him I suppose in his mind that is cowardice
1: probably yeah but if you're right there's a parallel to Leah here um, yeah I think um, if we're comparing it to the Leah situation we see that there's another level to this that she exposes them in the third season which is that he at this point sees himself yes as a coward but also very much as a victim of this whole situation he's in and the level they're going in season three is that he can't really call himself a victim when he's making victims of other people on that scale.
0: Yes. Which is something
1: he doesn't really recognise at this point.
0: I guess what Leah does is shine a light, uh, well, a, a, almost a reflection to Mitchell, which, ironic considering he's a vampire, yeah. on every, all his shortcomings. But she's doing almost what Scylla's doing here but more so yeah she's she's like torturing him and analyzing him and questioning him and as we said earlier like Mitchell cannot cope with that he cannot cope with facing truth or reality and Leah what Leah was doing was an extra level up for that whereas Scylla is asking about his past crimes and why you do this and why you do that Leah literally takes him there
1: yes And I think the main difference is that Leah really speaks from another perspective because she's been killed by him and she's the victim. Scylla also kind of is in this episode, but it's not comparable to Leah. So Leah, in a way, gets to um, tell her abuser, the one that's killed her, what she really thinks of him and what she wants him to feel to maybe... um, So she can move on in a way. And I think that's a very different nuance. Mm.
0: Yeah, and I love the fact that you just called a (laughs) Scylla.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's coming very natural (laughs) to me.
0: Uh, Herrick gets his cuffs out and his plan is to take Mitchell out the front. And he says, what about the girl? And Mitchell says, she's fine. She won't say anything. It's met with a snigger by Herrick. Fine, if you don't have the stomach for it. Back at the school gate, George hands mo- an ungrateful Molly her school lunch. This is where Sam kind of admits that she has feelings for George, but I'm still very much Team Nina. Oh, so I, I'm I'm thinking you can understand why George is doing it, but it, it's such a contradiction. As to what what we just said about he doesn't think he can have the normal life, and yet he's trying to achieve it. Is doing what he had with Nina even worse? because he didn't he didn't have a child with Nina there wasn't a child about and it's even more of a dangerous game that he's he's playing now than he had with Nina
1: yeah I thought so too it's kind of strange that after this um situation with Nina he moves on to do it worse in a way um I think he just wants to kind of compartmentalize the wolf as well he's putting him literally in a cage and that's what he's trying to do in his life as well I think He's putting Mm. him in a cage and trying to use the rest of him, that it's not the wolf, to have a perfectly normal life.
0: Annie, meanwhile, is getting stressed by the crying of the child and it turns out he is a fan of ghost stories. I think this Annie storyline is... I know what they're trying to do with it, but I think it's probably the weakest of Annie's storylines that she has.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: I think the writers knew they, where they wanted Annie to end up at the end of series two, but this felt like they didn't quite know what to do with her in the middle of the series. Like, but what do we yeah. get her to do?
1: It doesn't really have any anything to do with the rest of the series. It's just her establishing again that she kind of misses something about being alive. Yeah. it. I think this episode makes more sense in context with the fourth season and Eve. Yeah, that kind of gives it more relevance to her story.
0: Yeah, and I and again, I guess you you know the writers can proactively go, well, we did this with Annie in series two. Yeah, but I don't think there's... it was intentional. No, 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 no. But but now there's you know because obviously there's a baby on the scene that they, they they could explore what they were touching on here.
1: Yeah,
0: with a bit with a bit more detail. George tells his housemates that he's going to ask Sam and Molly to move in with them. Mitchell is seething Annie offers her a room and her and Tim will make do without she's making up names too I'm calling someone Scylla and she's calling a a baby Tim
1: yeah I just thought the same thing
0: (laughs) I just realized yeah I don't think this is a classic example of the way that this trio it's their ability for their conversations just to spill out into absolutely weird territory yeah Annie says, this, is, this was meant to be a family home. It'll be a lovely atmosphere for my baby.
1: <laughs> I think this, in this scene, it really feels like everybody's going insane. <laughs>
0: yeah. That's it. Mitchell says, that's it. You're all crazy.
1: Yeah. I'm with him on this one.
0: Yeah. Mitchell's adamant. No, absolutely fucking no way. It's insanity. She's not staying here. George starts packing his things. And Annie spends the night serenading Tim. When Sarah Pascoe finally turns up to claim her child back. Uh, The highlight of this scene, to me, is Annie's disgusted face when she actually finds out that Tim is called Rufus.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think Rufus is also a weird name for a baby.
0: Brian, Rufus, yeah, it's all weird. Yeah,
1: not my favourites, personally.
0: Then there's a tame ghost battle involving a toaster. And Annie says goodbye to him, asking what it's like to be a mum. And she says, I've left it a little too late, haven't I? She wipes away the tears... Much as this storyline, I mean, we're, we're saying isn't that strong, it does tie in the links with what Sykes told her last week about what happens when, you know, the world changes around you or you, you, you're invisible and you can't have a baby, you can't have a relationship yeah. and things move on without you. Yeah, that's probably the
1: Titan there. for the entire season because over the course of the season she... Starts to feel the weight of everything she can't do anymore and can't have anymore, and it's probably one of those things. Just
0: yeah, and it's yeah, like you say, it's a series theme. I think because that's where Annie's storyline goes in the next episode with the psychic. Yeah, it's all about realizing she's making use of being invisible as much as she can and being a ghost, but she's it's it's still not going to fulfill her. Yeah. Yeah, just that unnerving sense of uselessness in a world that can't see her. I think that's that's just Annie series two, isn't it? George confronts Sam on the doorstep. In a mission to show Sam who he is, he goes on a big speech. He offers... (laughs) I mean, George is so hasty at everything. He's quite spontaneous, really, George, isn't he? You wouldn't have him down as spontaneous.
1: No, that's true, but he's kind of out of it this season.
0: So to prove to Sam who he is, he says, My mother's na- maiden name is Harriet. My internet password is password1. I'm indifferent about all competitive sports, apart from parkour. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's not and a, a b- competitive sport, really.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I prefer lager to beer. I don't understand fishing. What is fishing? I'm scared of cancer. I've a bit of hypocritical objection to drive through takeaways, and I lost my virginity on a canal boat in string. And his favourite colour is gamboge. It's kind of orangey-brown.
1: Yeah, that's how you get to know people apparently. Just rush through <laughs> in like five minutes, collect all the data, and then you can move into each other.
0: Sam isn't convinced though, it's way too sudden, but she does have the place to herself tonight, so at least they can have a bit of fun. At the funeral parlour, Chief Wilson is waiting for Mitchell. The kiddie fiddler has been released on bail. He says, he should be home by now watching Tracy Beaker with a box of tissues. (laughs) That line is just so fucking dark.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. But the whole situation's about to get very dark.
0: Uh, Mitchell is implicated by the corruption and Wilson threatens to round up the vampires and burn them all if he doesn't carry out killing this man. Yeah, he's just just in a knot, isn't he, Mitchell? Because he, he... He's tied to the police when he doesn't want to be. Yeah. Cue a flashback to 1969 and Herrick asks Mitchell if he's ever read any Lewis Carroll. It's this childish world, this topsy-turvy world where up is down and animals talk. It's bonkers. I love it. And it's a lot like being a vampire. See, we've gone through the looking glass, Mitchell, and all those qualities we had when we were human. Mercy, for example. He gives a knowing look to Mitchell there. Such a commendable quality in a man. Such an indulgence now. I'm going to tell you a secret, but I think you already know it. Becoming a vampire doesn't change your personality. That's just a lie we tell the newcomers to help them through their first few kills. Ah, what's happening to me? Munch, munch. It doesn't change the personality. It liberates it. A vampire is the only free man. All his darkness, all his excesses they can run amok. He wants a girl? Take 20. He wants a boy? Go ahead. Just give the place a hose down afterwards. The world is his. The only limit is his imagination.
1: Yeah, I love Herrick... how their definitions of freedom like completely conflicted. Because earlier we've had Mitchell talk about um, how trapped he feels uh, being a vampire, mm. uh, imprisoned by his mind and his body, and now you've got Herrick telling him that it's really the only freedom he can experience.
0: This is like... Herrick is telling Mitchell that he's free... When he doesn't feel free, exactly, and the conversation that he's just had with Wilson, he's trapped by the limitations of the corruption of the police force. He's trapped,
1: yeah, by a clear, parallel. Te-
0: yeah, by technically he has to lead the vampires even though he doesn't want to.
1: Yeah, and it's also another parallel to the Bernie episode I thought because that mm. was also all about Mitchell, um, Harrick talking in his ear, uh, like whispering like the devil and putting ideas in there and watching it all play out
0: yeah absolutely uh herrick speaks of the deal they had when they first met and we find out that it turns out that mitchell sacrificed himself to herrick to save his friends herrick turns the screw here he's he's like his forehead starts getting bigger his eyes bulge and he's as he sneers i love it so much and he says i could see in you a great man a terrible man an orphan maker a breaker of hearts Now these people, these children of Darwin, will tell you that they're all wrong, that you're a monster because they're jealous, because they're in chains. Now that little scratch of conscience, that's a lie. That's not who you are. Now go and kill that girl. Ah, so good.
1: (laughs) It's, It's a really good speech.
0: It's wonderful dialogue. Of course, it's amazing by Jason Watkins as well. But I think this moment was much needed because until this moment... In this episode Herrick has kind of been a bit of light relief yeah I mean I guess he was always going to turn dark side because it's Herrick but if there hadn't been a moment like this it would be easy to forget how feared he was in series one and, yeah. and that that's the reason why I think the writers wanted him back and the because that's when he excels
1: yes definitely and I th- this also this episode also kind of builds up the finale of this season, like, not really built it up it's episode Mm. 5, but it gives a definite push in this direction and it's really great, we got another Herrick um, speech to solidify that, in a way
0: Yeah, and there's a great cut from him walking to kill Scylla and then him appearing behind the kiddie fiddler at his house and the man pleads, every time I think I've beaten it, it doesn't die it doesn't stop, it's in my bones which... Is exactly how Mitchell feels about being a vampire.
1: Oh, yes. He's definitely talking to himself here.
0: Yeah. Mitchell cuts him off and tells him to go to the police station and confess because you need to go to prison. You'll be safer in there with 500 murderers than one of me.
1: Yeah, that's very uh, funny, I think, in context with the third season yeah. where he's doing everything but going to the police. Yeah. Uh,
0: Mitchell storms back to the parlour to see Wilson receiving... A blowjob. I can't call it anything else. Yeah. <laughs> He's so fucking horrible. He says, I'm T minus 30 seconds. <laughs> Just like, oh man. I mean, who hasn't got a Corny next to a, a row of coffins? Yeah, right. And Mitchell goes, the deal is off. Look at you. You're like a dog that's been switched to a diet of dried food. This abstinence, this sudden morality. This isn't who you are. Go back and put that animal to sleep. The parallels are so good.
1: It's basically the same speech Eric just gave him. Eric said, I think Eric said, no, go and kill the girl. And he just said, uh, go back and put that animal to sleep. It's the same thing.
0: Yeah, it's complete carbon copy, but we're in totally different situations.
1: Yeah. And Mitchell reacts differently.
0: Yeah. Uh, Mitchell skulks away, looking defeated, but he soon locks the door and vamps up and out and rips Wilson's throat out at the same time we get a little bit of flashback while he walks into the room and threatens Scylla with his fangs so blood-soaked Mitchell storms away and Herrick escorts him away from the house I'm kind of gutted we didn't get to see a bit more of Wilson because he is such a vile bastard
1: oh yeah I mean if Mitchell has to kill someone then it it can be him (laughs)
0: yeah He turns up at Lucy's house, soaked in blood, and she demands the truth. What are you? And he reluctantly confesses, I'm a vampire. And he goes, You're not scared of me. And she goes, No, at least probably not as much as I should be. And Mitchell. And here we've
1: got the Scylla parallels Yeah.
0: Mitchell does a little clock, doesn't he? He goes, What did you say?
1: Yeah. This whole scene is so filled with parallels to everything we've seen uh, with Scylla this episode.
0: Yeah. It's such intricate writing, I think. It's, yeah. It's it's so well played and so well set up. You could also just view it and, not, and be entertained by it and not even think about those parallels.
1: Yeah, you don't need those to get the episode, but it enhances it greatly. Yeah. Because Lucy basically does the same thing. She's forcing him to confront himself. She's forcing him to be honest. She doesn't accept what he's just telling her. She's not as scared as she probably should be.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it, and and Mitchell then goes on to describe almost what I hope he's not called Kitty Fiddler in the bloody credits. What what <laughs> the Kitty Fiddler said to Mitchell, he says, "This rage, this hunger is in my bones." He's so desperate. Lucy has the stake in her hand, but she decides not to.
1: Yeah, I think it's a very well. Mitchell's really showing him his pattern. I think we, we've seen it a couple of times over the seasons. But it really shows that he just n- kind of needs a woman to stay good for. That mm. That helps him
0: mm. and,
1: and keeps him grounded. And I get that from his point of view. But it's a very, very unstable um, way of trying to stay clean.
0: Yeah. And that's where he goes in series three.
1: Yeah. Uh, and he's really trying to just put this um, responsibility for himself on somebody else. And yeah. it's always his downfall. It's always the reason he goes Rogue when he does
0: yeah yeah and in terms of series 3 with Annie it's, it's much more toxic as well because of yeah. the connection they have and the history they have yeah um, and it's always
1: him placing responsibility on someone else so when he does fuck up it doesn't only fall back on him I think
0: I love the writing on the show man it just totally it just blows my mind sometimes no matter how yeah. many times I've seen it yeah. there's always some sometimes a little bit of extra you can see and go oh but That's good. That's like that. And I don't know. It's just so good. So in 1969, Mitchell pops flowers down outside Scylla's house as she returns. He asks her for help again, like he was doing with Lucy. I don't even know your name. It's Scylla, she says. Not really. (laughs) (laughs) It's Josie. Uh, So, yes, the younger Josie that we saw from series one.
1: Yeah, which retcons basically everything we've learned about her so far.
0: Yeah. yeah there but it's is... fine. Yeah, there has been a discussion in the fandom about...
1: Yeah, but, but... I forgive them for this one.
0: <laughs> I think Toby once just said, oh, he just forgot. <laughs> <laughs> he just forgot that he did a scene where he's... he described when they first met.
1: Uh,
0: wow. Um. But yeah, I think it's an excellent performance by Charlene McKenna. But yeah. it's also great casting because... She does look so much like a younger yeah. version. And, yeah, it does make sense. And there's also, there's something about her mannerisms and she's got a bit of a husky voice as well. That yeah. I mean, it's a wonderful casting.
1: I think the main thing um, that always trips me up with um, how they forgot what they already told us about her is how she didn't know Herrick in season one. Because she meets him oh, in this episode. Oh, shit. And then she meets him again in season one, but she apparently doesn't know him. And Mitchell chooses Herrick to talk to her about how her- he wants her to become a vampire. But Herrick was very scary in the 60s. So that really doesn't make any sense.
0: You've just blown my mind. I, oh. That never occurred to me. Yeah. I mean, Herrick's, yeah, th- Herrick's recognisable. You go, oh, I met you yep. before.
1: Yeah, I think that's, uh, to me personally, uh, harder to forgive than j- just retconning the first meeting. They could have sat down and made up a fictional version of how they first met, so it doesn't have to be so cruel and horrible. But not, not knowing Herrick, uh, strange.
0: That's it. I've had enough of being human now. I'm, to- I'm stopping the podcast. <laughs> you've, you've ruined it. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that's, ne- that's just never occurred to me. Of course she's met Herrick. Yeah. And, yeah. and she and she, she wasn't daunted by no. him in series one at all. I mean, she said, you know, she found him strange or overbearing, and it, but she yeah, describes no. him. She said to uh, George, uh, "That man said," she exactly.
1: Didn't... It's an obvious plot hole. Oh. Once you've seen it, I mean, it's obvious, and I can't really be explained away.
0: oh no! You've just ruined everything.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: okay so then poor old mitchell gets it on with two different attractive women in two different time zones the poor life of being a handsome vampire <laughs> <laughs> yeah so lucy doesn't opt for a postcoital fag but she does want to plunge a stake right through him after she, he's just plunged his right in her
1: <laughs> <coughs> i know that's a bad one i'm sorry
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm never apologizing She decides against it, and it's a good job. I I still expect him to open his eyes. She's raining a stake down into his chest.
1: Yeah, but it does feel very in character for Mitchell to just sleep through anything. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Uh, She decides to lie on his chest, and they have a good old cuddle, and that is the end of the looking glass.
1: Yay!
0: For me, I think this episode, its real strengths are all about Mitchell, this episode. That oh, definitely. It yeah. is. It is so centered on Mitchell that I think George and Annie suffer a bit.
1: Yeah, but they've got other episodes. Um. I'm um, Well. Yes, probably. I think Mitchell's the one that gets the most room in the whole season, probably.
0: Yeah, I think Mitchell had a quiet start to series two. Yeah. In the first maybe couple of episodes, but yeah, it's, it's all revving up. Now for it's him. all
1: about him. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I still understand why this is one of the fan favourites because, I mean, p- partly because Herrick's back.
1: Probably,
0: and yeah. Pr- at, the, at the time, obviously, it would have been a different thing. You know, when this was first aired, people were like, God, there's a flashback through the whole episode and Herrick was back and we got to see Mitchell's past. And, and You're it,
1: right, that's very exciting.
0: Little bits and pieces from his past are coming together that yeah. haven't been done before.
1: I, I'm i just really always sad but when I watch this episode and the next one that it didn't work out with Lucy, because I, unpopular opinion, I kind of shipped them.
0: Ooh.
1: I know it's an unpopular opinion, I just thought um, they challenged each other very much, and I think there was opportunity there for both of them to grow. So, and I'm very sad it didn't work out, and that Lucy decided to not really go for it, and to stay as she was
0: so in this sense that you would have been happy to see her progress as a character as a love interest and and if she got away from kemp and the whole facility and all that kind of stuff
1: yes that, i think so i would have
0: yeah I, I think she's a great character there's no doubt about it maybe she doesn't find she, she doesn't change enough i suppose and where it heads in the end of series two
1: no, in, we... I think it, it was probably in the next episode or something where she has to make a choice, and she chooses a- actively against um, Mitchell. I think yeah. that was the moment she could have she could have um, made it all happen, <laughs> but she didn't.
0: Yeah, I suppose so. But then, without that, I think the fact that she stays on on that track makes the end of the series so good and so special. Oh yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. I think being humans, full of a lot of smaller characters that you. Even whether you don't like their motives or or anything like that, you you kind of wish you had more of. And I think Lucy's a great character. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's interesting. I I just wondered how if if they obviously ended up as a couple together and she got away from Kemp or whatever, and how the story would evolve from there. But that's all these things, in there, Every that's the thing about all these. Parts making up something, and if you take one bit away, then something else will fall away. But you'll build, you'll build something else somewhere else.
1: Exactly, and I don't think in a show like Being Human, this ever would have happened, really.
0: No, because it's all it's always got to be set up for the big fallout.
1: Yeah, exactly. And this whole season is building up to um, Mitchell breaking down in a way, and they just needed this as a catalyst.
0: Yeah, the the reveal that she's been lying to him and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, so it... he can say it's not my fault. She lied to me, as he always does.
0: Yeah, it's the bloody woman's <laughs> fault. That's what it is. Always. Thank you very much for listening to another episode. To get in touch with the podcast, you can contact me at boxtunnelpod at com. You can ask me anything. You can apply to be on the show as an honorary old one. If you want to be a recruit, you can follow me on Twitter at boxtunnelpod and Facebook, Instagram, and I'm sure there's something else. You know, Box on Survivors Group. Google it. It'll be fine. We sign out as we sign in with Dog Scratched Ear by Henry's Funeral Shoe. Until next time, enjoy your dinner. Not tay. Munch munch.
1: Was the box turn or podcast and thanks?